Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you, our listeners, to move beyond that fear, to solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle, to investigate supposedly ironclad truths, to unearth evidence buried for so long they believed it would stay buried. Season 2, Deep State. The Deep State is real, and it's just that a 51st state, hidden from the American people and unacknowledged by the federal government, even as it pulls the government's most important levers. How do you hide an entire state? You bury it. Deep. In Civics 101, we're taught the particulars of the visible constitutional state, the one you can visit in Washington, the one you vote for, Deep state is just a new term for a phenomenon that's influenced American democracy for 150 years. To many, it describes another more shadowy, more indefinable government. That description is accurate, but it's not the whole story. In July 1861, weeks after the first major fight of the Civil War, the first battle of Bull Run, members of President Lincoln's inner circle, nervous about his chances at reuniting the nation, decided the country needed a backup plan in case the capital fell. They sent a small group of civil engineers called the Shovelmen to scout locations in the West. Today, some say the hole dug by the Shovelmen, believed to be underneath the Colorado-Wyoming border, houses a powerful bureaucracy rumored to be 600,000 strong. So why is a shadow government, designed to silently run the real version of American democracy, suddenly a regular topic of conversation within the constitutional state? Is there dissent in today's deep state? What's the ultimate goal of deep state leadership? This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Richard Belding. Think back to your childhood and something that scared you. Maybe it was a villain in a fairy tale. Maybe it was a scary illustration in a children's book or a ghost story someone told around a campfire. The digital version of that campfire is, of course, the Internet. And our guest today is the author of one such digital scary story. But before we get to Erica, a quick update about the information we've been receiving from a scholar whom I have decided at this point just to call our Optophobia Season 2 correspondent, Todd Snosh. Um, So if you're a regular listener, you know that Todd is a historian who is researching a book in Medicine Bow, Wyoming, Uh, about how Andrew Carnegie presented model casts of his own dinosaur finds at the beginning of the 20th century to world leaders as a way to help President Theodore Roosevelt's administration spy on them. As a side product of his research, Snosh has also uncovered some groundbreaking information about the exploits of the shovelman. 
The Shovelmen, of course, were a group of military engineers recruited by President Abraham Lincoln's inner circle to go west and identify the best spot for a bunker that would headquarter Lincoln's presidency in exile should the Confederacy prevail in the war. Last week, Snosh emailed a PDF scan of a letter sent by one of the Shovelmen, Captain Habakkuk P. Mott, to Lincoln's spiritual advisor, Bishop Matthew Simpson, in 1865. In that letter, Mott describes the presidential bunker built largely using dinosaur bones by the shovelman. The language also seemed to indicate that the shovelman, who had been on this mission for nearly two years at this point and hadn't seen their families that entire time, had become very attached to the bones themselves and they were possibly even worshiping the bones and considering one day sacrificing their children to please them. So the news from Southern Wyoming this week is that there isn't any news. I emailed Todd a bunch of times, and when I got no reply, I started looking into where in Medicine Bow he might be doing his research, hoping I could maybe get him on the phone, I tried a few libraries and a historical society uh, there without any success. Um, The only communication at all was an email that arrived in my inbox yesterday, actually. And it was, it was from Snosh's account, but it just read, who is this? As if we hadn't been going back and forth about the shovelman for months now. So I responded, but nothing back. That's all very strange. Uh, I will try to figure out what's going on there, and I will let you guys know. So anyway, I am here with my regular co-host, underground city planner, businesswoman, and loving grandmother, Muriel Walland. Hi, Muriel. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? How are things in Sheol? It's sort of weird that we're doing this uh, remotely, but... I know. Um, so I'm in self-isolation with the grandbabies right now. Um, we're experiencing what we know to be a COVID-19. Um, and so we're self-isolating at home. Just me, Mephistopheles, and Bohemia and Paxton. Muriel, is that a different virus than the virus that most of us are experiencing? Or is that a, just a way that I'm misunderstanding your southern accent no no it's not a virus at all no we can't leave our homes because there is a a group of 19 corvids so you have your ravens and your crows and they're outside and they'll peck us to death if we leave our homes it's a big problem in sheol oh so a corvid is a kind of bird yes it's a raven crow it's a genus of bird species but but they're rampant in sheol and so we've been we've been under self-isolation for a week now um, just, you know, trying to get rid of this COVID-19 problem we have. So there's 19 of them that have surrounded you and they- they're surrounded. Yes, surrounded. And, you know, birds can fly very quickly. So, you know, if you try to leave through a window, next thing you know, they're at that window. And then you're trying to leave through the door. They're there too, ready to pick. Wow. I, I hadn't heard of Corvids before. It sounds frightening. COVID-19 just hit us right out of the blue. We weren't expecting it. You know, we did not have our COVID protection in place um, that we were promised. How do the authorities usually protect people from the corvids? It's usually like a basket that you wear around your head. It protects from package. And it also, it's it's made of little tasty bits 
that corvids enjoy, so like little bits of meat. And so the idea is that you wear your meat basket out, and then the corvids can't peck through to you. But, you know, after a day or two of Corvid-19, we were already, you know, we, we already had gone through all of our meat baskets trying to leave and go to the grocery store. I know that you said Corvid-19 is not a, a virus, obviously. It's, a, it's an animal. Uh, uh, but it's interesting that I think that's how vaccines work, right? It's actually 19 animals. It's very similar to an antibody. Yeah, right. Because if there are meat bits in the basket that you're putting on your head, you would think that would not repel the corvids. That would actually attract them to your head. And you're just sort of gambling that that basket is strong enough protection for you and your eyes. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, Sheol is really just a mirror of what goes on in the above ground places in America. I hope that you guys uh, stay safe. Oh, we're staying safe. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. The boys are the boys are keeping busy. Uh, unfortunately, our scheduled guest this week, Ponderosa Pine, New Mexico mortuary assistant, Katrina Sheepfrost, was unable to join us. Katrina is most well-known for her theories around the deep state's interest in controlling the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, and her belief that the deep state version of the food pyramid includes gibbon, howler, and marmoset monkeys. Katrina called yesterday and said that she had been she was laid up after a fire broke out at Bison Brothers Funeral Home, where she works, uh, during an after-hours embalming party that she was hosting. So that's scary. Uh, thoughts and prayers for everybody at Bison Brothers. But we were extremely lucky this week because at the very last minute, we were able to arrange to have today's amazing guest join us. Uh, Erica Knutsen is with us all the way from Nevada. Erica, thank you for being with us, for patching into Optophobia. Oh, thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you, by the way, for saying it, Nevada. I really appreciate the correct pronunciation there. Of course. Tell us a little bit, uh, a little bit about your life in Nevada, and a little bit about what you do, and just about yourself. Yeah. So um, my day job uh, is that I, I actually manage uh, a thrift shop called Junk in the Trunk. People keep asking me, you know, how is life different now under the current circumstances, and for me, it actually hasn't changed a lot because I do actually live out of the thrift shop. It's it's a 2,000 square foot warehouse uh, right off the highway uh, in Henderson, Nevada. So um, life for me has really not changed too much. So Erica, is thrift or or you know secondhand clothing, junk, are, are those essential items in terms of what the Nevada? state government is classifying essential businesses? Yeah, it's interesting because there's all sorts of little ways to get through it. Um, I guess I should explain. So half the shop is uh, thrifted clothing, uh, a thing I think people can really wrap their heads around. And the other half is uh, sort of an antiques and oddities kind of thrift store. So, you know, uh, military memorabilia, antique books, uh, strange things that just sort of fall off of trucks and then I pick them off the road, potentially haunted items, things like that, just all sorts of oddities. So we had trouble 
at first, because it's just sort of this retail reseller kind of coded business being acknowledged as essential. But I am looking into all sorts of ways to uh, refurbish, right? That is the whole name of the game. A lot of what we're already doing, uh, I'm looking into turning my large collection of tie-dyed shirts into tie-dyed face masks. So we're finding ways around it. How did you get into that kind of retail? Sounds a little different than most thrift stores. Yeah, this was never my dream. You know, I didn't grow up a little girl in Southern Nevada thinking I wanted to own a thrift shop. But the summer of the second time I decided to no longer attend university, some people would say I dropped out, but I think that's a very reductive term. But that time I consoled myself by going on a three-day ayahuasca bender, during which I became really good friends with, she was like, an aging uh, performer. She mostly uh, moonlighted as a Stevie Nicks impersonator, actually. Uh, But this aging Stevie Nicks impersonator told me in in a moment uh, of intense confidence that she was about ready to hang up her bangles and give up all her worldly possessions and just walk into the mountains and live a simpler life. Yeah, I didn't really know what I was looking at when I first set foot into, into Junk in the Trunk either. The, the clothing section made sense. You know, it's, it's, it's lots of fun costumes, lots of fun vintage items. But yeah, that other half, it's a little different. The energy is very different. And, and people often ask me, like, why don't you just make the whole thing clothing if you're not really naturally into all of these oddities? Uh, and the answer is that I, I can't. Uh, I physically uh, have been unable to. Uh, every time I, I put an article of clothing um, past that strange little threshold line that divides the shop, uh, it just becomes uh, a rare and inscrutable old tome. With the times, are they written in Latin? Are they some sort of demonic language? Um, so it is the strangest thing because if you just pick one up and look at the cover, they look at they, they look like normal sort of thrift shop books that you may find, you know, uh, old out of print copies of classic novels, uh, uh, the occasional strange sort of Nazi erotica, the, the the weird things that you might find. But the second that you open them, it looks like it would be language that you could read, and then you try to read it, and you just get this big weird headache. And I just, I just can't do it. I, I feel really funny. And then I, I go to sleep. And uh, those nights, I always have ridiculous dreams. And then I wake up feeling somehow changed, but still unable to, to read the tomes. Erica, can we follow you through your dreamscape into, into your night, into the musing of your subconscious? Absolutely. And, and this, this ties in a lot with, you know, I said my day job is that I, I manage junk in the trunk. But my night job, my passion project more and more these days is that I've become a bit of a of an internet content creator. And now I really consider myself, you know, an online forum super user. You know, I, I, I think that that community there has really given me a lot of, of what I was looking for. But the niche that I ended up falling into, I, I, again, as if it were sort of predestined, is that I just sort of responded to a general sort of like ask everyone question about strange dreams. 
And this was at the height uh, of my obsession with trying to read one of these tomes. And I responded very honestly, like, hey, you know, I had just picked up what should have been a copy of The Count of Monte Cristo. But then when I, I opened it, I had this searing headache. So I just had to make myself a nice little cup of tea and go to bed. And that night, it felt like I had realized a hidden childhood fear that I didn't even realize I had uh, until this dream occurred. I dreamt that uh, I was in bed sleeping soundly, but this, this figure, this figure that I can only describe as having a motherly presence, but also being nothing like my own biological mother, got into bed behind me uh, and just sort of spooned me for a bit and then leaned over and whispered, secrets, I guess is the best way to describe it. Wh whispered truths into my ear in a language that I could not reproduce now, but in the dreamscape understood perfectly. And I woke up and I was, I was horrified, but I was also the most alive I had ever felt. I, I gained a lot of internet points that day. Everyone really responded well to that dream. Uh, so I started just sort of reproducing all of my dreams for the internet. And, and that's the content that I create now. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with Erica Knudsen. Hey, optophobes. You gave yourself an hour between flights, but you've now been sitting on a tarmac in Houston for 30 minutes. Five minutes ago, you paged through the in-flight magazine to find the terminal configuration, and your next gate is at least a 15-minute walk. That means you need to get off this plane, which is starting to get hot because for some goddamn reason the captain turned off the air in the next 15 minutes. You've also had time to look up when this shitty airline next flies to Costa Rica. It's not until tomorrow, and you'll be goddamned if you're spending the night in a red roof inn at the Houston airport instead of hanging out with toucans and howler monkeys in the jungle. Hey, we've been there. That's why we created Monkey Viper Shield L7L, an oral tincture made by combining the pressed leaves of the monkey bread tree and venom from the white-bellied carpet viper, both found in Western Africa. The venom of the white-bellied carpet viper contains neurotoxins, cardiotoxins, hematoxins, and cytotoxins. This unique combination leads to both coagulopathy and defibrination, meaning different parts of the body could spontaneously begin bleeding while spontaneous blood clots appear in other areas. Someone bit by the white-bellied carpet viper may begin bleeding uncontrollably from the eyes or ears while simultaneously experiencing shortness of breath, leg pain, problems speaking, or problems moving. That sounds terrible, right? But don't worry. Most of those symptoms are prevented by the juice of the monkey bread leaves. Just squeeze a few drops of Monkey Viper Shield L7L under your tongue as you begin to get nervous about making your connection. Within two minutes, the venom will begin to work its magic. Your seatmate will freak out, as will the flight attendant, and you should be on your way to a gate in no time. You'll be a hero to everyone on that plane, and as long as the anti-venom kicks in, you'll have no problem hightailing it to your Costa Rica flight. Blend Venom Solutions. We take away your fears using snakes. Okay, we're back with Erica Knudsen. 
uh, Erica, you were describing an amazing uh, experience that you had as you became a content producer on the internet. I've been writing, the internet will call them creepy pasta. They're these sort of um, short, very digestible, scary stories that then you could uh, copy and paste and, 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 and make go viral, right? They're sort of memeable things. And I, I think my fan base is pretty divided 50-50 on whether or not what I am producing is pure fiction or actual accounts, but I, I know that they're real. Can you give us some examples of some of the creepypasta that you've created? Are there things that you're known for around the internet? Yeah. So my, my big sort of viral moment was a few years ago, it was actually in response to someone like there was a, there was a kind of bad forum post that was just like, Hey, share something creepy. Let's make something creepy happen. And I had just that evening, had an incredible dream. So I, I shared it with the world and, and I, I shared the story of, he, he's now been colloquially referred to as the thin guy, but he is this sort of tall, uh, lithe gentleman in a dapper three-piece suit who has no face and just sort of lurks, you know, in the places that you might not expect him. At, at least in my dream, he wasn't going to hurt me physically, but it felt like he was going to stalk me down and make me maybe realize something about myself I didn't want to know. But I, I shared that. And something about that story and that that image uh, of the thin guy just took off. That is so crazy because um, it sounds just like my neighbor, Martin, in Sheol. Martin's this real tall, lithe gentleman. And he has like this this face that it always kind of looks like it's all blurred out. And he's always just, I mean, he studied psychology in undergrad. So he's always telling you these things you didn't know about yourself. That's incredible. That sounds a lot like the thin guy. And I, I guess that's, that's sort of what I wanted to talk about with both of you today is that the strangest thing happened to me just four months ago. I was, you know, doing the normal thrift shop managing things, uh, getting in full pallets of Ouija boards, putting away all the winter parkas to make room for all of the summer kimonos, things like that. And suddenly there was a knock on the front door and I was served. It was someone telling me that I was being sued and the plaintiff in the situation was the thin guy. And and at first I thought it was a terrible joke because of course the thin guy was not a real entity that could sue me. He was just sort of this thing that I had dreamt of and then created and then went viral and, and, and now everyone on the internet was talking about him. But sure enough, I was being sued by my own creation. Huh. Was there a name attached or was it just the thin guy? It just said the thin guy, um, you know, and the letterhead on top where it would normally say the court of the state of Nevada. It just said deep state in a really strange font. So here's what I think happened. H have either of you heard of a tulpa? Tulpa? From what I understand is when uh, something mythological comes to life. Is that right? That's right. Yes, that is when uh, something that was originally just an idea 
is given enough mental energy through the belief of others that it becomes a real thought form in, in, in our physical world. Uh, it's actually a Tibetan uh, idea that I, I first encountered when I was studying abroad. Wow. So what you're saying is that you had a dream about a, this figure. You followed through by putting that figure from your dream, putting some kind of, I guess, skin on it in a way by creating the thin guy on the internet. It took a life of its own, but then the energy of the internet actually was concentrated enough to make the thin guy come to life outside of the internet. Yeah, I really think that's what happened. And now he is suing me um, for copyright and trademark rights to himself. Because, uh, of course, as the original creator, uh, I did hold the copyright to the idea of the thin guy. But I'm not I'm not a greedy creator. I loved that he was taking off. I love that people wanted to make spooky YouTube videos or podcasts or video games, uh, all sort of de dedicated to the thin guy. Uh, ultimately, you know, if I wanted any of those things taken down, I, I held the copyright so I could do that. But now he has been manifested into our world by the millions, uh, perhaps even billions of people who have heard his story and want to believe in this figure. And he wants rights to himself. And he sought representation to get those rights, not in one of the 50 states or even in Nevada where you live. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've been talking to my lawyers about this. And our best guess is that mythological beings, paranormal beings like tulpas, cryptids, monsters, demons, and the like, they sort of are stateless beings, if you think about it. You know, some of them may reside, quote unquote, in a real physical place on Earth, but it's in the government's best interest to not acknowledge them. And really, they exist as things that we believe in. They exist in our minds. So no court actually has jurisdiction over paranormal entities. For instance, you know, the, the Mothman is technically in West Virginia, but is he at all? The Jersey Devil, even if he could be represented, could never get a fair trial in the state of New Jersey. Uh, so it is my belief um, that the deep state has figured out this sort of legal loophole where as this sort of non-entity state themselves, they are the only ones able to represent these beings. And if you have, if you have my neighbor, Martin, he is just notoriously litigious too. So I think that, you know, if, if he was somehow in a tulpa or whatever, I mean, he could, I don't, I don't know where he goes. He leaves for weeks at a time. It, I mean, he's not in Sheol all the time. He could be down in the deep state doing who knows what. Mm. Erica, I want to play devil's advocate for just a second. Technically, you have to be registered specially to be a devil's advocate. Oh. You have to be specially registered. So you can't just play one. You have to actually be one, and you need to be registered to be one. You have to, to be, be one, one, and you have to be registered. Damn it. To be a devil's advocate. So well, let me present an argument. That's a better way to say it. Thank you. If you have seen the thin guy's signature, but you haven't, you know, aside from having seen him in your dreams and then creating him on the internet... How do you know that this lawsuit is not just somebody trolling you 
instead of actually being the thin guy asking for his trademark back now that he's become manifested as a real per as a real person yeah that's that's a great question and um the simple answer i know you're going to think this is hokey is mother's intuition you know it was really it was really a shock that day when i realized what had happened uh, one because just getting sued by your own creation is, is quite the trip for anyone but also two because in that moment i realized that i had created life uh and i had never imagined being a mom like i can barely keep track of myself sometimes it was just one of those things that i never thought i would do but in that moment i felt it uh, i felt that that i had created the thin guy and then I guess sort of the rest of the world was the midwife bringing him into the world. And I actually kind of really enjoy it now. You know, all of my friends have been saying that I have this motherly glow to me. But, you know, in that way that mothers can just feel that something isn't right with their child, they just know. I can just feel that the thin guy is out there and he's very confused and he just wants to find himself. And, and I, I, I don't know if he understands the full legal ramifications of this or the ramifications of getting involved with the deep state, but I, I, can, I can feel him out there. Oh my gosh. Y'all, I, I just remembered Martin's last name. Oh gosh. And let me tell you this. I've never met Martin's mother. I never met his family. He just appeared one day in Sheol. So his last name is Martin the Thin Guy. Oh my gosh. I thought it was like some sort of... I thought it was like Georgian or something, you know, some sort of language that I don't know. And it was just like the thin guy. But no, it's the thin guy. It's his last name. People. Oh my gosh. So Martin's out there suing his own mama. Oh, oh you've seen. Martin the thin guy. Oh, you've seen my Martin. Muriel, has he been a neighbor for a long time? No, he just moved in. He moved in maybe... A couple years ago. Is he a nice guy, Muriel? I would say that he is, he's rather considerate. And he just looks like he could really use a a mother figure in his life. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I just looks like a little, you know, he, anytime we have a, like, you know, when we celebrate Halloween in Sheol, it's the biggest holiday. You know, he never has any, any family come celebrate with him it just breaks my heart to hear that 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 he's been out there this whole time without a mother it really hurts i i I hope the thin guy uh, martin if you're listening if you're out there and you hear me right now i just want you to know that that mama loves you and, and mama misses you and mama wants you to drop the charges erica we're almost out of time but i wanted to ask you uh, one more question. It was a shock to you when you when you received uh, the news that the thin guy had become a person. Uh, further shock, probably, that he was suing you. I'm wondering if you've thought much about the role of the deep state in this and what they get out of representing cryptids in the constitutional state. And if, if you have any feelings of uh, animosity toward the deep state for your situation in particular, but also, I don't know, it, it strikes me as an odd uh, logic. Like what are they getting out of this? Yeah. I've been, I've been thinking a lot about that actually. It's definitely a way to show off. Like, you know, we are the deep state. We have powerful lawyers. 
we, we have all of these cryptids and tulpas and monsters on our side. So I, I think that's part of it. I, I think also the deep state, now that they realize this legal loophole, understands that there's another avenue for them to potentially control the media that we consume, you know, and that story that I felt like I was here to tell is just not a thing I can share or control anymore if the deep state gets their way. Yeah, that must be very frustrating. Well, I hope that you are successful in any sort of uh, legal battle, but I also hope that maybe you can at some point meet your creation, which sounds a little bit crazy, but I, it sounds like that's something that you would hope for too. Yeah, I would, I would love to meet him. I'd love to reconcile. I'd love to break bread. Well, you now know his neighbor. Yes, please. If you see my Marty, uh, I guess I've already given him a nickname. If you see my Marty, please let him know. Oh, Erica. That I miss him. And I, I don't want to be sued. I will let him know both of those things. I am just drowning in legal fees. Okay. And, and Erica, next, next October 31st, okay, if we get this Corvid situation under control, you're invited over to have traditional Halloween goose with me, my grandbabies, and to your baby. Okay. That sounds beautiful. Just know that. We're going to have to leave it there. Uh, giant thank you to Erica Knudsen. Erica, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. And thank you, as always, to my co-host this week, Mariel Wallen. Mariel, I hope I hope you get your Corvid situation under control. Keep the grandbabies safe. Thank you, Richard. And please, please feel free to edit out any calling in the background. Uh, next week is the last show of this season. So we are going to talk to both of my co-hosts, Muriel will be here, and Ford Hanger, host of the hit YouTube unboxing show, Spoiled Treats with Clifford Hanger, will be here too. I hope you will join us as we wrap up the season together and see if we've gotten any closer to answering the central question we've been picking at this whole time, what does the deep state want? Thank you for listening to Optophobia. I am Richard Belding, and I will leave you with this. All of the world's riches mean nothing without at least one person who can count. If you've got theories about what the deep state really wants, we'd like to hear them. You can find us on our website at optophobia.org or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at at optophobes and please subscribe on apple podcasts spotify and google podcasts thank you to jasmine jang who played erica knutson jasmine performs with washington improv theater ensemble madeline follow her on twitter and instagram at at shut up jasmine liz sanders played muriel woland liz performs with madeline optophobia was produced by tim townsend music by bart warshaw Cover art by Claire Smalley. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next week, keep them open. <laughs>